0: and start shopping at business.walmart.com. That's business.walmart.com. From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams.
1: Certainly, if people are, are critically ill on a ventilator with COVID, they can't have visitors in the room at all. And so the communication with medical staff, to family members, to let them know the status of the patient, what the, the, the plan of care is, to, to involve them in that. So they're not just waiting in the, in the wings, um, living in a black box and not knowing what's happening with their loved one. It's so crucial for us to overcome that.
0: That's Dr. Darren Versillo talking about the importance of clear communication with family members of critically ill patients. We'll hear more from Dr. Versillo on that and other change management practices, but first, a word from our sponsor. The revenue cycle in ambulatory care settings is vast and complex, which makes understanding and managing it crucial for financial, clinical, and regulatory success. On February 3rd and 4th, MGMA will be offering a Revenue Cycle Certificate Program that will help participants assess and master revenue cycle management and give them the expertise to determine methods for continuous revenue cycle improvement and ongoing oversight. To earn a certificate in revenue cycle management, go to mgma.com slash events. Our guest today is Dr. Darren Versillo, who is a practicing hospitalist as well as chief medical officer and co-founder of Central Logic. Dr. Versillo is here today to talk about how change management can be implemented as appointments once again move to being more commonly in person. He'll also discuss the best change management approaches to creating a positive workplace and how to inspire providers and support teams to engage and to enjoy practicing medicine again. Dr. Versillo, uh, thanks for joining our podcast today.
1: Thank you, Daniel. It's a pleasure to be here with you.
0: Give us an idea uh, for our audience, the, the size
1: and scope of your practice, where you're involved this year. So I, I'm a, I'm a hospitalist uh, at, a, at a regional medical center here about uh, 20 minutes north of the Salt Lake City area, where I've lived for 20, 25 years now. I'm originally from Southern California. And so as you ask that question, what is the size and scope of your practice? Perhaps uh, that's a little different than uh, some of the uh, ambulatory side, but I've been in hospitalist medicine for uh, the bulk of my career, and uh, the the regional medical center where I practice uh, is a 250 bed uh, hospital, and it's actually gone through quite a an evolution over time uh, in the 14 years uh, since we started the hospitalist practice there. Uh, now it's a uh, it's a trauma center and uh, It uh, also provides a variety of uh, service lines that it didn't before including neurosurgery and it's a stroke receiving center and um, interventional cardiology, interventional radiology. So it's actually been a a tremendous experience uh, as a hospitalist working both in the critical care setting as well as the acute care setting to uh, grow with the hospital as well as uh, our practice, which has also uh, transformed throughout the years from being a single hospital practice to a multi-hospital practice. And now we're affiliated with a large multi-specialty group, which is uh, one of the dominant groups here in the county just north of uh, Salt Lake City in Davis County.
0: Mm-hmm. Thanks for sharing that with us. And you were talking about your situation evolving over the decade plus that you've been there. We also know that in 2020 itself, um, that we've seen so much change. We're actually recording oh, yes. this on December 23rd. Uh, people will be hearing it on uh, in the new year. But I wanted to give you to give us an idea then how things have changed for you guys, how your focus has changed mm-hmm. and your work has changed in 2020 due to COVID-19 and all the pressures and challenges that it's created.
1: What can you say about 2020 to be sure? <laughs> yeah. And uh, and even though we're at the end of the year, is 2020 really over? I mean, we look at uh, what's coming up in 2021, and it seems like uh, at least the first half of that year is already spoken for. Um, but uh, yeah, 2020 has been a it's it's been an interesting experience, a roller coaster ride of uh, of emotions and uh, and uh, dealing with COVID. It, you know, it's been interesting. Um, The numbers that we've seen, as far as patients are concerned, uh, have actually stayed the same, if not grown, uh, Hmm. from the hospitalist and critical care side of things, which I know for many working in hospitals and even in their ambulatory practices is not the case. They've seen a tremendous tailing off of the numbers of patients who were coming into their practices or had surgical procedures put on hold. But of course, people keep having strokes and heart attacks and sepsis and all the things that, uh, Nobody plans, quite frankly, mm-hmm. and and then you you put COVID on top of that, which, as you look at the geographic distribution of how COVID kind of went across the country, uh, we're probably one of the later states to, to see a surge in patient numbers. We're actually currently in it right now. And so when you look at the COVID wards and the numbers of patients that we're, uh, we're treating, we're, we're definitely at our peak right now. And... You know, these are these are very sick patients. They have tremendous respiratory challenges. Fortunately, we've uh, been able to benefit from many of the learnings from so many other places ac- across the country, and my hat goes off to them mm-hmm. for dealing with this disease so early on when so little was known and so little was available as far as uh, the novel treatments that we have now, whether it's antiviral medications or if it's... Um, you know, plasma infusions with convalescent sera uh, and now the vaccine uh, awesome. being available. So great hope um, the, the nursing staff has been amazing uh, to watch them shoulder the burden of working with these patients and donning the PPE and, and being in that gear constantly uh, throughout the day um, the, the staff that we've worked with procurement keeping PPE in, in constant supply and getting a hold of PAPRs and other things that have kept the staff safe and us safe. Um, again my hat's off to them um, and then and then the families and I think Daniel that's probably been one of the the most poignant parts of all of this is whether you're in a situation where you can you limit it to two visitors or one visitors or no visitors. Um, where you have dozens of patients in the hospital where family don't know what the end goal or end point is going to be. I say the end goal, they know, but the end point is going to be with people of all different ages. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so this has been, it's been, it's been quite a year. It really has. And uh, COVID aside, we've had to continue to um, take care of patients, whether they've come in transfer, whether they've come through the emergency department, whether they're consultations for other physicians that are in or near the hospital, all of that has continued and it needs to continue. And Mm -hmm. so um, that's that's definitely been been our year. And again, as I said, we're looking forward to probably at least another six months of it going into 2021. But I think 2021 is going to be a a great year of accomplishment and, and overcoming this for the whole country.
0: Mhm. It's interesting that you were you were talking about being a hospitalist um that that is a little bit different than most of the guests we have on the show. However, earlier this year we did have uh Drew Kular. He was uh, one of our keynote speakers at an earlier virtual conference we had in 2020. He's a hospitalist in New York City. He's he's oh, wow. dealt with a lot of the Uh, really the devastating uh, situations that they had early in the pandemic. And then also he's been uh, writing about it. He writes for the uh, New Yorker and for other publications, and he just wrote a piece on the shortage in nurses and the impact Mm -hmm. that traveling nurses have had across the country. I I wanted you to talk a little bit more about that staffing side of it, those nurses, uh, what their impact has been, and how you guys have have kind of uh, staffed for that to make sure everybody's there and 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 really dealt with at times the burnout, perhaps that that people are suffering from as well.
1: Well, I think if I were to send a, a message out to the world, if there are any people out there who want to become nurses, please go for it. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I I know we have the same the same concern and the same issue both from the administration side as well as the practice side as likely every other state in in, in the country. And maybe it's a, a, a shortage throughout the world, but you, you can never get enough great nurses and quite frankly, can't get enough nurses period. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a hospital that has 250 beds and people are constantly asking, are, are you full up? Are you overwhelmed? Do you have every bed in the hospital filled with COVID patients? And I say, well, fortunately, no, we're, we're not, uh, we're not dealing with getting slammed the way, uh, so many hospitals seem to early on, and I don't know if that's an evolution of the disease or, or, or what have you there. But um, when we look at our hospitals' numbers mm-hmm. and whether or not the hospital is filled, you have to ask: Is that are you filled to capacity physically? Do you have every bed filled, or do you have every bed you can potentially fill that's staffed? And in our case, you know, our staffing is. Uh, allows us to use 60 to 70 percent of the hospital beds and i know many other hospitals in the area are in similar situations so yes we're full but we're nursing full And if we ever have to say no uh, because we're on divert in an emergency department it's because the beds just we don't have enough nurses to staff them and and they're doing as i mentioned before just a, a heroic heroic monumental making a monumental effort to um to continue to take care of these patients, I've been amazed that uh, the nurses have been able to uh, continue with this effort the way that they have. We've seen, I think, very little burnout. I know there were some nurses who took some time off but have come back. I I think everybody's trying to maintain a balance as best they can, Um, but it it, it does wear on you. It does, not mm-hmm. it it I'm sure wears on them far more than than me, since they have to be at the bedside so much more, mm-hmm. and 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 be in that personal touch so so much more often.
0: Yeah, you and I were talking offline about dealing with the end of one year and beginning to turn that page. I mean, that's just it's like a human condition that that's what we do. We get into late December we start mulling over those resolutions it almost Mm -hmm. seems inadequate when you think about what we have endured what we've all been through in 2020 to just set resolutions but I mean we are human beings at the end of the day as well we have lives and how do we begin to do that how do we sort of put 2020 into perspective whatever that is and then begin to you know build up that mindset a new mindset for a new year what what's some advice you can give us on what we can do as we we're a few days getting into a few days into 2021 as people are listening to this and and then begin to build a new <laughs> a new us uh as we look at 2021
1: right that's a great question um you know and and as we did talk about that in earlier in this interview, I think one thing we do have to realize is that there isn't a magic end of 2020 and a new 2021 that's going to be absolutely different. I think we need to be transparent about that and, and yeah. honest with ourselves and with everyone else that this is still going to go on for a while. And, and I don't say that to be a you know a downer or to you know um, to, to make it sound like there's there's no end to this, but um, we have made such tremendous strides. In, in conquering this, uh, just in the, in, the, in the change of how we practice with PPE, with um, limiting contact, with, um, with now the vaccine, and hopefully that'll be tremendously successful, although I know we're a ways off from being able to get that in the, in the quantities and volumes to, uh, to get everybody vaccinated, but we'll get there, we'll get there. So I think being, again, clear with our expectations, of what 2021 is going to bring will help us avoid disappointment of expecting too much and then still being in June of next year and, and, and dealing with many of the same issues that we deal with now. Um, so that's one thing. Um, I, I think we need to, we need to continue to um, communicate with each other and be open and honest with our feelings, and we need to help bear each, other, bear each other's burdens and um, buoy each other up. Uh, these are great people we work with. They're great families we work with. Um, and so as, as we continue to go into this year, I think we found a new level of interconnectedness, Mm -hmm. even though physically we've had to distance the ability to connect with each other, I think is another strength uh, that will make 2021 a greater year for all of us coming out of 2020. Um, and, and then as we, as we look just personally as, at what we're doing, you know, I've, I've heard so many wonderful stories about people working from home and connecting with their children and with their families and and perhaps letting go of some of the things that uh, took them away from some of the more meaningful things in life. And so whether it's building relationships with families, whether they're in your home or, or uh, more distant or in another state and connecting with them, I think is important. I think it's very important to look at building ourselves personally, whether it's working on your talents or reading a new book or getting out and exercising or picking up the guitar like I have and trying to <laughs> learn that. I mean, there's this, you know, what can you do to try and build yourself up and give your uh, have some outlets? Uh, these are the things that I think will make 2021 a great year. And they don't have to just be New year, New Year's resolutions. They can be built in to the very way we tackle this year as a, as a better people altogether.
0: Hmm. Thanks for sharing those ideas and thoughts. Um, one of the other things that we talked about offline in earlier correspondence was talking about change management. We, we truly have seen seismic changes in healthcare and the way care is delivered, the way uh, <laughs> rethinking patient access and uh, other aspects of that provider patient relationship Um, I wanted to talk about change management and how it can be implemented as appointments once again move to being more commonly in person there's there is that dilemma now and how do we become efficient in both uh, those in-person visits and in those virtual visits how do you make that work so what are some steps that practice leaders can take there
1: well, as we've talked about again, um, since my practice is largely inpatient based, I, I don't do a lot of telemedicine uh, with respect to that. But from from our perspective, uh, I think there's a couple of things that we've looked at with regard to change that I think are important. Um, first of all, as patients come in to hospitals, one of the things that we're having to deal with or, or focus on um, so much earlier now than we did previously was, what's going to happen with them when they come to discharge and so uh, one of those things is we always want to make sure there's continuity of care when a patient leaves a hospital and so if their primary care provider or if the subspecialist that they need to see is using telehealth we can get them prepared for that because that might not be something they've been used to in the past and so we're working very closely with uh, with those providers in the community. We're working very closely with case managers and care managers, with social workers to make sure that uh, these appointments, the follow-up, the continuity is set up and is rock solid so these patients can be taken care of that way. The same thing goes with those that are being discharged to skilled nursing facilities or to rehab facilities, making sure that we're planning that early. It's been a it's been a tremendous change this year, Daniel, as we've planned for placement of patients in other facilities that are taking, taking up the next phase of their care. They all want COVID tests done. And so whether or not somebody's coming into the hospital with a COVID-related illness, they still have to have that testing done before they go onto the next phase of their care. And so making sure that that's built into the plan so it doesn't delay their discharge by a day or two days Um, increasing their length of stay and potentially their exposure to other people uh, inside the hospital. Um, So, you know, those are a few things there. I I would say another area that's been a big change for us has been the constant communication with family. It's been interesting because depending on the time or the season of of where we've dealt with this disease, and I know this has been um, the same in other areas as well, we've only allowed one family member or in times we haven't been able to allow any family members and certainly if people are being, are critically ill on a ventilator with covid they can't have visitors in the room at all and so the communication with medical staff to family members to let them know the status of the patient what the 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 plan of care is to to involve them in that so they're not just waiting in the in the wings um, living in a black box and not knowing what's happening with their loved one. It's so crucial for us to overcome that. We've seen uh, that the, the the critical care ward, the ICU, uh, where I do a lot of my attending is on a ground floor. And there are families who are standing at the windows, looking in those windows at at their loved ones. They hold up signs at the glass Saying we love you, we're, we're cheering for you. We, we we look forward to you coming home. They they tape those signs on the outside of the glass facing in. The 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 um, groundskeepers have actually cut down some of the bushes so they can have access and look in. So there's a there's a, a new a new level of I would say disconnectedness mm-hmm. that we need to overcome through greater communication, so they all know where things stand and that happens here in the hospital, but it also is crucial to when people are leaving and getting back home to make sure that they're, they're dialed into that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- no, thank you for sharing. Those are some inspiring stories about, you know, working with those patients, uh, really humanizing uh, that experience and that relationship. Wanted to talk about that from the workplace perspective as well. Um, how you can inspire providers and support teams to engage with one another, to communicate with one another, and quite frankly, to enjoy practicing medicine again, because this has been a, an incredibly challenging experience for everybody. Certainly.
1: Well, I think, first of all, from the, um, from the side of working in the hospital, I think we all have to realize the burden that this places on certain people. And, uh, the uh, just like when you're working at home and you're having an interview and your dog starts barking. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a new norm, right? Yes, it is. Um, great, greater understanding as to what we're dealing with mm-hmm. uh, here. I've, I've been, been super impressed with so many people and um, again, their, their willingness to, um, to share and bear others burdens to be um, uh, understanding of uh, when uh, people lose it once in a while mm-hmm. uh because of how tough it is um and you know it, it's been interesting i've some of the colleagues that i have they'll they'll give their other colleagues a pat on the back and when they know they're going home to encourage them to just forget about what's behind them and go be with their families and uh, go thing go do things that they um uh enjoy doing so we have to we have to carry this load Obviously, it's not going to go away, um, but uh, I think working together, we can uh, we can make sure that it's uh, uh, it's as enjoyable as it can be. And then, you know, from the from the standpoint of uh, of enjoying to practice medicine again, I've seen so many of my colleagues do what I've done. Similarly, is to create variation in their practice and. So many have gotten involved with uh, uh, with other business ventures. Um, so this is beyond obviously the uh, the personal things that people do, like you know flying a plane or playing a guitar or water mm-hmm. skiing or whatever your uh, uh, your your personal outlet is. But to create variety in your practice, to write, to um, uh, to give interviews, to uh, to do uh, legal review, to get involved in healthcare software companies like, like I am um, so, to, to consult and, and, and move around the country and, and help uh, bring your particular expertise there. Uh, I believe that as medical pr- uh, providers, whether we're physicians or nurses or nurse practitioners, physician's assistants, in, in whatever uh, capacity you practice, you have a tremendous amount of knowledge to give and to pass on. And whether that's passing it on in an educational environment, Traditionally, where you're in front of a class, whether that's writing articles or reviewing articles or posting on the internet, getting on uh, social media and sharing your knowledge and expertise with others, whether it's getting involved in uh, businesses that provide goods and services to the healthcare industry or directly to patients, that variety right there, being able to step away from the direct patient contact, which is so important to us because we've become providers. To augment that or to um, uh, couple that as well with other uh, activities that draw upon your experience and expertise, I think creates a tremendous balance within your professional career. And I would widely encourage that to, uh, to all those out there.
0: Can you give us an example of uh, what that looks like in practice? Maybe provide a success story or a, a case study for us?
1: Sure, certainly. Um, you know, I think there are a couple of different ways you can look at, personally, a couple of different ways that I look at uh, success in, in, uh, in the world that I've been dealing with. Certainly, on the clinical practice side, so much of what we've done this past year has uh, created success around how we've been treating this new disease with COVID-19, um, in the efficiencies and the way that we work together and the way that we work in hospitals and and uh, address the needs of patients. Um, I'd also say that um, on the career side, as I mentioned uh, today, that uh, the ability for us to diversify ourselves has been um, something that has been on the forefront of my mind, especially as I hear with uh, uh, with regard to a physician burnout and other uh, provider burnout areas. For me personally, I'll share this this story. Um, over the past uh, many years, it's been uh, almost a decade and a half now. I've been very involved in the world of um, of of so- the software industry and software and services that are provided uh, to hospital systems. And one of the great successes that we've seen, especially during this this past year, with uh, with the company that I work with is the ability to um, orchestrate care. It, it's been such a needful thing in the, uh, in the world of COVID, being able to get patients to the care where they need it as quickly as they can with the right providers. And as we look, for example, at the early um, surge that happened in New York City, we heard stories about some hospitals being completely overwhelmed and filled and some hospitals down the street only being at half capacity because they didn't know where that, uh, where that capacity uh, was and where to move the patients. And a great success story that, uh, uh, that I had personally was uh, with the state of Arizona, where they, they were brought together by the state health department. And we helped them create visibility to capacity across the entire state. And when one area of the state was was becoming overwhelmed, the state had the ability to then help move those patients to another area um, as close by as possible, but where they had the capacity to manage those. And so the state of Arizona collectively was a tremendous success story of what we call access and orchestration to orchestrate the care of patients across uh, an environment that broke down barriers between different healthcare systems that uh, opened up silos that people were operating in And we had people getting together on phone calls on a weekly basis, sharing best practices. It was a tremendous success story of how to um, orchestrate the care of patients to its finest. So everybody got the accessibility to what they needed. They got it in a timely manner. Healthcare systems didn't become overwhelmed. So for me professionally uh, with the work that I do um, with central logic, we, um, we're able to see uh, that uh, blossom into a great thing for the state of Arizona. And I know many other states are following suit in creating uh, that accessibility and visibility across their areas as well.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I wanted to ask you on a personal note then, what have you been doing to maintain a healthy work-life balance. You mentioned playing guitar a few times, but <laughs> what, where where have you gone? Because I think with a lot of people, when I've, I've been talking to people in healthcare this year, we already knew that there was um, stresses being put on healthcare workers prior to COVID-19. There was, uh, burnout was a real problem. So, what have you been adopting? what have you done and and what can you share with us today?
1: well um whether or not guitar is actually creating less stress or more stress for me <laughs> remains to be seen but uh <laughs> it is one of those outlets um i you know I got some good advice early on in my career to to continue to pursue uh talents. my undergraduate major prior to medical school interestingly enough was music performance hmm. and so um Having that coupled with my, my medical career, whether it's doing local musical theater or uh, things with my, uh, with my church and community, whether it's picking the guitar up, uh, for me, music has played a huge role in uh, maintaining uh, work-life balance on one, on one end. And I would also say to others that it's never too late to work on a talent whether that's musical or athletic or artistic in any way, uh, I would would encourage people to take time to develop that or redevelop them if they put them off for some time. So that's one aspect. Um, Far more important than for me than career in music and everything is my family. Mm -hmm. And so uh, staying closely connected with my wife and my children, our grandchildren now, uh, continuing to build those relationships, looking for opportunities to spend time together, whether it's just getting away for a day. We just got back from a family reunion where we were able to spend time at a cabin with extended family and trying to social distance and <laughs> not yeah. create a super spreader event, right? <laughs> right. Um, but uh, those those are where the real memories are built and what life, in my opinion, is really about. And I think we all... Uh, need to especially now around the holidays when time is permitted to look for those opportunities to spend time with family and reconnect if it's been a while. Um, I'll tell you Daniel that's been one of the things that has been so impressive to me especially with these patient cases that um, are so seriously ill where they oftentimes uh, don't make it Um, to see family members who have come from far away who maybe have not taken the opportunity previously to spend time with their loved ones and now are facing uh, an end-of-life situation and and perhaps the regret they have that they didn't spend more time. Um, Those are the the reminders to me that we should uh, take advantage of any opportunity we have and create those opportunities to draw close uh, to our family members and loved ones and and friends and Mm -hmm. create those relationships and build them back up. So. those are things that I think are, are, you know, create that work, uh, life balance. And then also there's, there's the spiritual aspect, searching deep in our souls and whatever we call spirituality in our lives. Um, I think that creates peace, um, for us when we can seek that out.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for sharing that from the personal side and wanted to turn the page then to back to the to the work side. So any final Mm -hmm. thoughts you can share with our listeners about change management or anything from, you know, what you would expect out of, you know, healthcare workers where they can continue to grow in 2021, things that could help them own the job as they're working with patients or in that back
1: office setting as well. That's a great question, and and certainly there are so many different things that can be done. I'm sure that mine is just, or my ideas would just be a small piece of that. I think many of which I've articulated already. I, I think that from a from a professional perspective, um, we should be looking for every opportunity that we can to support our coworkers, understand uh, the uh, the burdens that we all are facing collectively um, you know the, the the landscape has changed we don't know how long it's going to be until it changes back to what it was before or if it ever will mm-hmm. that there may be differences going forward I think it's, inc- it's incumbent upon us to look at where we are now and where things are likely to go and embrace that and help build that to be the best it can possibly be as opposed to bemoaning the changes that happened in 2020 and looking back and saying, why can't things be the way they used to be? Mm-hmm. So everything that we can do to build the forward vision and moving forward with that, things are going to change, they're going to stay changed and and potentially for the better uh, as we've learned from this. And so embracing that and, and building towards that future, I think is, uh, is an attitude and a perspective that we can all take. Um, again, I strongly encourage uh, all my colleagues throughout the medical profession uh, to look inwardly at what they have to offer beyond just their traditional career, and I, I say that with the greatest sensitivity. You can practice in your career the way you are and be tremendously successful and provide great value throughout your entire life. But if you're if if you feel like there's something missing or there's something else that you want to do with your career. I would definitely say look for those opportunities where you can share your knowledge and your expertise with others either on the educational front or in writing and publishing and and uh, we've got such a great social media where those ideas can be uh, shared and then also in potentially other areas where businesses are looking to capitalize or leverage your expertise to build Great goods and services for the industry. You have a lot to offer, and I would say let's go out there and 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 give it back in those ways as well.
0: Well, Dr. Furzillo, uh thank you so much for sharing these insights with us today. I hope that you continue to stay safe out there, keep playing the guitar, and keep being a great role <laughs> model for other healthcare professionals. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you very much, Daniel, and I appreciate you uh, having this series where we can have these sorts of discussions. So. Happy holidays to you.
0: Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to our guest, Dr. Darren Versillo. And thanks to MGMA Events for sponsoring this week's show. To register for the upcoming certificate program in revenue cycle management, go to mgma.com events. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. If you have topics you'd like us to cover or experts you'd like us to interview, email us at podcast at MGMA.com. Or find me on Twitter at MGMADaniel. MGMA Insights is presented by Declan McGee, Rob Ketchum, and I'm Daniel Williams. Stay safe and thanks for listening. Hi, this is Declan McGee, one of the producers for the MGMA Insights podcast. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com/membership. Thanks. The popular buzzword we've been seeing everywhere is AI. But what we all want to know is how we can implement and use it to our advantage when it comes to improving margins, accelerating cash flow, in optimizing staff performance, there's a one-stop shop using cloud-based predictive analytics. MGMA Analytics is your AI-enabled tool that upscales technology you've already been paying for, so you can silo your disparate systems and make data-backed business decisions. Visit mgma.com analytics and see how AI can revolutionize your finances and operations. Again, visit mgma.com slash analytics today.